I was incredibly fortunate to have um, a mom and dad growing up that really knew the importance in being a part of a church body. And so every Sunday they would wake my older sister Whitney and my younger brother Wes and they would take us to church and um, they knew that there was something about God that they just wanted us to know and love. Uh, I love the church I grew up in. One of the great things that our church did every year, once in the fall, once in the spring, we would get away and, and for a weekend we would pray and we would worship and we would bring in someone to teach us the word of God and we would just confess and just enjoy being together. And I remember our church would always bring in this guy named Bob Owen from Lufkin, Texas. Do any of you guys know where Lufkin, Texas is? Brandon does. Josh does. Yeah, of course you would, Josh, in Texas. And um, so he, he's this amazing guy, and he would come in, and he would, and he would share the, the scriptures, and he would tell all these stories. And there was something about the, the way that he would talk that just made me want to know God more. The thing that, like, looking back on my life, looking back on all those falls and all those, those springs that we would spend time with him, there was just something about him, and it wasn't the stories that he told. It was the life that he was living. That there was something about his life that I really just saw the goodness and the realness of Jesus. And it just kind of spoke to me that, that there was more of God that I was not experiencing. You ever been around somebody like that? Where like the way that they live and the way that they talk and you just, you, you want to know God more because you see that there's something about their life that they're experiencing something in God that you haven't yet tasted yet. John chapter 16 is such a beautiful passage in scripture. We've been on a series talking about the Holy Spirit for the past five or six weeks as a church. And I love this text because Jesus is going to continue to teach us about the way that the Holy Spirit works in the life of a Christian. In John chapter 16, Jesus wants us to understand that the Holy Spirit will lead a Christian to live a life that testifies to the world around us the goodness and the realness of Jesus. But he also wants us to understand that the Holy Spirit will live inside of us to make us live just like Jesus. So when the Holy Spirit has free reign, when the Holy Spirit is leading a life of a Christian, we will testify to the world around us that Jesus is not only real, but that he's good. And that we'll start to live just like Jesus. John chapter 14, 15, 16, it's one of the saddest moments in the disciples' lives. These are these 12 men that had left everything to follow Jesus. They've been following him for the past three years. And Jesus in John 16 just like drops this bomb on them that he's leaving. That he will no longer physically be in their presence. And David's just so magnificently set this up the past few weeks and just like really drawn us into the grief and the pain that they're experiencing and Jesus is wanting these guys to understand that, that he is leaving them, but that this is a good thing. And the reason that this is a good thing is because even though he won't be there, the Holy Spirit will be not just in front of us, but he will be inside of us, and he will be with us forever. And the Holy Spirit will live inside of us to make us live like Jesus and to testify to his realness. John chapter 15, verse 26 is where we're going to start this morning. The, the two verses before John chapter 16 is where we're going to start and this is what Jesus says. When the Advocate or the Holy Spirit, when he comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. This first kind of thing that I want us to see is that when the Holy Spirit is leading the life of a Christian, our words testify to the realness and goodness of Jesus. 
I love that Jesus says that, that we, the Holy Spirit will testify and that we too must testify. That word must just gripped me this week. He doesn't say like, it'd be really cool if you testified or you're like this super Christian if you testify. You can just hear Jesus like saying, no, it's of the utmost importance. You must testify. And I love what Jesus does here in verse 27. He says, because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus takes them back to the beginning of their journey. He takes them back so that they can remember all that they've seen Jesus do, all that they've experienced by being with Jesus and all that they've received from Jesus. I met Courtney, who is now my wife, um, my freshman year of college. We started dating my sophomore year of college. One of the things that I learned about her is that she loves birthdays. She loves her birthday. She loves my birthday. She loves your birthday. She just loves birthdays. And so I knew I had to make a big deal out about of her first birthday. And so her birthday's in November, and I just kind of had this idea that I really just, I'm not a very romantic person. I want to be. I'm just not there. But I think God gave me this really great idea in my sophomore year of college to just win her heart over. And so um, I had this idea that I was going to buy this journal that was just this blank journal, and I was going to go through and find pictures of all the dates and all the the memories and all the places that we'd gone on together the, the past three months. And it wasn't a ton, but we had several. And so what I did is I, I took these pictures and I put them in a journal. And underneath the picture, I wrote the date. And then I wrote underneath it what we did and, and some of the things that, that we did during, the, during the, those dates. And I remember I gave this book to her. And the very first page basically just said, I'm giving you this book because I don't want us to ever forget the, the fun things that we've done together. And I want us to remember all that we've been through and all that we've experienced. And I want us to be able to show our kids this. And she's like, wait, 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 wait. Like, we're three months into this. Slow down. And, and I remember just giving her this, like, getting way ahead of myself, but going, man, this is, I want us to have something that, for us to look back on. And I love what Jesus is doing here. He's taking these 12 men back to the day that it started. You just imagine him, like, looking at Peter going, Peter. Remember that day you were in the fishing, po- fishing boat and, and you cast your line and I told you to come follow me and you literally just dropped it and you followed me? Remember that day? Do you remember all that you've experienced because you've been my follower? Remember that day that, that there were 12,000 people gathered? There were 5,000 men, but there were more like 12,000 people gathered and, and I prayed for these five loaves and I kept passing you bread and we fed the entire crew. Do you remember that day? Peter, do you remember all that I've done through you? Remember that day I sent you out? And you cast out a demon from that person? Or Matthew, hey, do you remember, Matthew, the the, the day that, that you started following me? You were literally in the middle of sin, and I invited you to come be on my team. Do you remember all that you've seen me do? Do you remember that day that that I spoke and there we were on the middle of a lake and it was storming and, and the storm stopped? Do you remember that, Matthew? He like looks at all of us. Charlie and Lauren, do you, do you remember? Like, God got hold of your hearts. Do you remember all the ways that, that God has worked through you? Do you remember all those moments where, where you just were overwhelmed with his kindness, where you prayed a prayer and he answered? Like, do you remember? He looks at all of us who are followers of Jesus because you remember. Singing back on my life this past week, taking a stroll down memory lane and Realizing all that, that God has done to me, all that Christ has done to me. 
that he's taken away every, every sin that I've ever committed? Because of Jesus, I'm completely forgiven. I go, that's what Jesus has done to me. It's not that he's just forgiven me, though, man. He's just given me this desire to, to live a life that, that pleases God. He's given me this desire to, to love other people and to help other people grow in their love for God. God has done all these things to me. God was going, yeah, what about the things that you've seen me do that you had nothing to do with? I was thinking about this time my freshman year of college, and I just, from a young age, I knew I wanted to, to give my life to serving, like, the kingdom of God. I wanted to preach, and so I went to the school where I could be trained, and I remember sitting there listening to the Bible being preached one day, and I was just overwhelmed with anxiety and worry, going, man, I have no idea I'm going to pay for school. I think this is where I'm supposed to be. I think I'm supposed to be trained, but I'm just thinking about like the hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt that I'm walking into. And so I just remember the still voice, the Holy Spirit, the quiet voice, just going, pray. So I just asked God, God, would you help me to trust you? I go about my day. I have three or four classes that day. At the end of the day, I just kind of had the stirring. I was supposed to go check my mail. And so I went to the bottom of the student center and where all the mailboxes were. And I opened my, my mailbox and there was this letter in there. When you're in college, you get a letter. It's like the best day ever, isn't it? It's like, open this letter and it said, you've been given a scholarship for $3,500. Wow. God, you're incredible. You're, you're kind. And I just was thinking about my beginning with Jesus. When he started to get a hold of my heart, like as a, a middle schooler. And all that God has done to me and through me, and all that I've seen him do. And I love what Jesus is doing in John 16. He's inviting us to sit down and he gives us a little memory book with pictures and dates and moments and he wants us to remember all that we've seen him do. Because it's in reflecting back and remembering all that he's done that we remember where the roots of our faith, the roots of our commitment, the roots of our love, the roots of our experience of understanding the goodness and the kindness and realness of Jesus started and Jesus goes, when you remember, you will testify. You know, when a witness is called into a courtroom, what do they do? What does a witness do? They simply just share what they have seen and heard, right? They simply just share their experience. For those of you who are Christians, do you believe that Jesus is actually alive? Do you believe that like, he hears us when we pray? Do you believe that he forgives us and that he cares for us? Why do you believe those things if you do? Because when you look back over your life, man, you've encountered him. You've felt his, his healing. You've encountered his provision. You've tasted his forgiveness. You've experienced his grace. And Jesus is inviting us just to testify to what we've experienced in God. To testify to, to our friends and to our families that because of Jesus, you're forgiven. Not because you're a nice person or because you go to church, but because of the, the precious blood of Jesus was spilled on the cross of Calvary. Sinful people find their way back to a holy God. 
We testify that in Jesus you're forgiven. We testify that, that Jesus is alive. That he's not just some historical figure and he's not just some concept that Jesus Christ is with us right now. King of the universe, the one in charge of all things, who holds all things together. We testify to his realness. We testify that he changes us. That he loves us. Paul in Romans chapter 10 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can people be saved if they've not believed in him? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone telling them? And how can anyone tell them unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And the the command of Jesus is that we must testify. That this is not just for the spiritually elite, and it's not just for the preachers, and it's not just for the the missionaries, that, that common, ordinary people like you and me who've been saved by the blood of the Lamb, we are called to testify to all that we've seen and all that we've experienced and all that we know in Jesus. You see, but it's not just our words that God is longing for us to use to testify to his greatness. He's inviting us to lay down every part of our lives to bear witness to the world that Jesus is alive and that he's alive in us. Look at chapter 16, verse 1. Jesus says, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. He says, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this, that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, he will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And Jesus, there's a lot there. There's a lot that's packed into those few verses. But he's wanting us to understand that when the Holy Spirit has full reign in our lives, we live like Jesus. You know, no one had peace like Jesus. You read through the Bible, you read through the Gospels, and no one had compassion and forgiveness like Jesus. No one was locked into the Father and what the Father wanted like Jesus. No one had joy and purpose like Jesus. And the reason that those of us who are Christians are Christian, it's not so that we can just be Jesus' cheerleaders. It's because we want to know God like Jesus knew God. The reason we follow Jesus is so that our lives can matter for the glory of God. We want to love and forgive and be patient and for the world to come to know God through us. When you've really encountered the living God, being Jesus' cheerleader does not suffice. You always want more of him. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to make us like Christ. 
And Jesus here in chapter 16 looks at his apostle and he says, but you need to know, guys, that if you really want life with me, if you really want your life to count, if you really want to be just like me, it's going to be really hard. It's going to be really tough. He says, I'm, going to t- I'm telling you these things that you don't fall away. And that phrase, fall away, he says, I don't want you to, to give up your faith. That's what fall away means here. If you've ever been in a car crash, a car wreck, you ever seen a wreck coming? Like you're driving on the interstate or you're driving through an intersection and you just see someone like they're about to rearrange you, you look in your rearview mirror. What do you do when, whenever you're about to have a wreck and you see it coming, you grip tighter and you tense up? And that's the moment that's unfolding here. Jesus is saying, man, things are about to get really tough. And the crash is coming. And the temptation when all these things start happening to you is that you're going to want to give up on your faith. You're going to want to quit following. The temptation is going to be to to believe that I'm not there with you. And he says, hold on. I don't want you to fall away. Hold on. Hold on to your faith. Hold on to your faith. He says in verse 2 that they will put you out of the synagogue. This doesn't mean too much to us, but to them, man, this, what he's saying, man, it just would have hit them like a ton of bricks. Jesus is saying that you're going to be cut off from some of the people that you love the most in this world. Because when you actually want to live like Jesus, when you actually live the, entire, the entirety of your life for the glory of Jesus, sometimes your parents aren't going to be okay with that. And your kids aren't going to be okay with that. And your friends aren't going to be okay with that. And they, it will cost you. He keeps going. He says, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. Can you imagine what Peter and his brother Andrew and their best buddies, James and John, can you imagine what they're thinking? They're like wrestling with this reality that, that they are going to die. Because of their commitment to Jesus. They're wrestling with this tension that that because of their commitment to Jesus, man, they're going to be kicked out of some friend circles. Things aren't going to always be easy. You know, I just want to address the elephant in this room. That sometimes we read passages of scripture like this and we have a, a hard time letting what Jesus is saying. Soak down into our hearts. Because of the, the culture that we live in, because of the society that we live in, we have a hard time believing that this would ever happen to us as Christians. You know, we don't live in China or North Korea or India where people are killed because of their faith, where Christians are literally killed because they believe in Jesus. Those of us who are Christians, most of us don't suffer. We don't face any consequences from our families or our friends or our circles for following Christ. And it's so easy to read texts like this and for there just to be a disconnect. We go, man, that doesn't apply. That can't apply. But as I was studying this week, I go, man, what if Christ is actually telling the truth here? That what if, if this is the what the life that follows Christ actually looks like. 
In John chapter 16, verse 13, it says the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. And we hear that, we go, that's vague. What is he talking about? All truth. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus had just said a few moments ago that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And he's wanting us to understand that the Holy Spirit will always lead us to live like, like, to live like Jesus did. And if you read through the, the Gospels, man, you, you see the life of Jesus. His life wasn't always easy. I don't know what you think about when you think about Jesus. But he spent a lot of his life and his family did not understand him. They thought he was crazy. After one of his sermons, people took him to the edge of town to throw him off a cliff. I'm telling you, if you did that to me, I would never preach here again. The Spirit led Jesus right after he was baptized to fast for 40 days. It's not a metaphor. He fasted from food for 40 days. He was tempted in the, the, the desert by Satan. The, the Holy Spirit put him in a place to stand face to face with Satan. Jesus Christ spent nights praying Jesus constantly had people talking about him behind his back, conspiring to kill him. Good old religious folks were always talking about the people that he was hanging out with, were always disturbed because he was always hanging out with people that had the scarlet letter on their lives. Jesus' life ended with him being alone on a cross. Go, what in the world compelled Jesus to live like this? John chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says, I have come from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of my Father. John chapter 5, verse 30 says, For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Jesus could have lived his life however he wanted. I mean, he drove out demons. He walked on water. He calmed storms. He could have done whatever he wanted with his life. Look at the life that he lived. Why did he do this? Because he was committed to living his life for his father. That he lived this life because he loved his father. Or you think about the apostles, the 11 of the 12 men that, that heard these words directly for the first time they came out of Jesus' mouth. You read the book of Acts and you see how every single one of their lives turned out. Peter and his brother uh, Andrew and their best buddies James and John and all the apostles, man, they were flogged. People literally picked up stones and threw them at them. They were run out of towns. People conspired behind their back to kill them. And every single one of them, their lives ended in martyrdom for Jesus Christ. You know, what in the world compelled them to live like that? I love in John chapter 6, verse 66, it says that many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed Jesus. And Jesus looked behind him and he asked his 12, do you want to leave me too? And Peter looks at Jesus in this very intense moment and he says, Jesus, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. What made the apostles lay down their entirety of their lives so that the world could get a glimpse of the goodness and the realness of Jesus? 
They knew that Jesus wasn't just some historical figure, but that he was alive. What's going to anchor us? When hard things come our way. When life happens to us, what's going to keep us from falling away? We know Jesus. We know that he's real. We've experienced his kindness, his provision, his healing. We've experienced his grace. We have a rich history of our roots going deep. And the question that I want to ask us is, are we really letting the Holy Spirit guide us to live like Jesus? And I'm not trying to shame us here. But I wonder if the reason we read texts like this and it feels so foreign is because our lives, we're really not testifying to the realness and goodness of Jesus. I wonder if, if, if we've simplified it, if we've controlled it down, to, if we've made Jesus about coming to church once a week. And I'm not down about coming to gather with the people of God because I think this is ordained and this is what God wants and this is what he desires. But I wonder if, if we're letting him lead us and guide us the rest of the week or if we're in control. What happens when we use the entirety of our, our lives and our words to testify to Jesus? What happens if we wake up in the morning and we say, God, whatever you have for me today, I'm wide open. There's something about living the entirety of your life with Jesus, for Jesus. Like Jesus, that you experience joy and intimacy and understanding of God that you do not encounter. If Christianity is just about coming to church once a week. And I don't say this to shame us. I say this so that we are, we are compelled to, to hunger and thirst and to step into more life with God. And I understand that this is really hard to do. Earlier this week, I realized that, that Jesus wasn't just inviting me to like preach about this. He's inviting me to like actually live into it. To put my feet in the water and to see if what he said is actually true. And so Thursday I went to, to lunch with a good friend. And while we were at lunch, I just had, I just heard the Holy Spirit. I heard God just speaking. You need to ask the waitress if she believes in Jesus. And I'm like, dang it. Ah, can't I just preach a sermon on Sunday? <laughs> No, I'm, I'm going to do it. I think this is from you. And so I just asked this waitress, hey, I have a question for you. 
do you believe in Jesus? And my stomach's just like in knots and I'm nervous. And she looks at me and she says, no. I don't believe that he's a savior. She said, do you? I said, yeah, I do. I do believe in him. I said, if you ever want to like know about him, Every week I gather with a group of people and, and we just, we gather around Jesus. We, we talk him. if you ever want to know more about him, we'd love for you to come and join us. She said, I don't think I'll, I'll be coming anytime, anytime soon. I'm like, that's not how I thought this was going to play out, but it's okay. <laughs> I found great joy over the past four days. Friday, yeah, four days, just praying for her. You know, in so much of the work of, of God in our lives is we don't get to see the fruit, we don't get to see the results. He asks us to listen, to in real time respond, to be faithful. And I have great hope that this woman is going to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, not as a historical figure, as a savior of the world. I'm going to pray for her. I'm going to keep praying. Friday morning, I go to Kroger. And I'm at the deli getting some um, honey ham. And um, there's this lady, she comes up to, to serve me, and she asks what I want. And I just ask her, I say, how, how are you doing? How's your day? And she says, not, I'm not doing very well. So what's going on? She said, man, my, my mom is really sick. My dad passed away several years ago, and so the past few days I've been taking care of her, and it's just really hard. We chat for a few minutes, and I get the lunch meat, and I'm just shopping for some apples or whatever it is I'm getting. And I just have this thought, I need to go pray for her. And I'm like doing one of these where I'm like, I'm going to go pray for it. No, I'm not going to pray for it. Yeah, I'm going to go pray for it. And like, people are like, is that guy schizophrenic? What's wrong with him? Like, <laughs> just like walking back and forth. And I'm like, no, I'm gonna, I think this is from God. I'm going to go pray for it. And so I just walk up to this stranger that I just met a minute ago. And I said, hey, are you a, are you a praying woman? And she said, yes. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> Thank goodness. Like, this is going to get weird if it wasn't. I said, I think I'm supposed to pray for you. So I just pray for her. I pray that God would comfort her and that he would fill her with the spirit. I pray that God healed her mom. And she gets done and we get done praying and she's crying. And I'm like, I didn't mean to do this. I'm sorry. Like, I didn't mean to cry. I just I wanted you to know that God's with you. And sometimes we, we make this so much harder than it has to be. And I get this, that, that we are controlled by fear. We're paralyzed by fear in our world. We're fearful of what really will happen if we give our lives to following Jesus. Like, what would have happened if, if that waitress, like, if that would have turned out differently? What happens if I get kicked out of the restaurant? If I can't ever go back there? What if she slanders my name and writes a blog and starts telling people about him? Like, this could have gone way different. And maybe one day it will. But I'm telling you, there was something about those moments, hearing and responding and testifying, that, that there is a greater experience that God is inviting us into, not just in moments. Every minute of our lives. And I love that he tells us in verse 7, and Dave has been pounding on this the past few weeks, that, that it is for our good. Jesus keeps saying that in verse 7. It's for your good that I go away, because if I go, I'll send the Holy Spirit. And I think one of the reasons why he says that 
it is for our good is because ordinary, still struggling people like me and like you get to help be a part of helping other ordinary, struggling people step into abundant life with God. If you and I really believe that Jesus Christ is alive, we will testify. And we'll get to be a part of helping people step into abundant life with God. Don't be fearful about how it turns out. Don't be fearful about what they're going to say and what they're going to do. Our job is to, in love, in obedience, in full of the Spirit, to testify to what we've seen and heard in Jesus. He tells us in verses 8 and 9 and 10 that the Holy Spirit will convict. It's not our job to convict people of sin. It's not our job to convince people that Jesus Christ is alive. It's not our job to convince people that Jesus has done everything that needs to be done. It is our job to testify. And Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit will take care of the rest. There's something about this intimacy with God. I love what he tells us in verse 13. He says, the spirit of truth, when he comes, he'll guide you into all truth. He'll guide you to live like Jesus. He will not speak on his own. He will speak what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Do you hear what, what he's actually saying there? And most of us have a hard time believing this because we've not experienced this. But he's saying that the Holy Spirit will share with us the secrets of God. And part of us don't even know what that means. I don't fully even understand what that means. Part of us go, that's stupid, that's ridiculous. What is he even talking about? And what Jesus wants us to understand is that when we submit the entirety of our lives to living for his glory, testifying in the word and deed to his realness and his goodness, that God moves closer. He starts sharing secrets with us. Who do you share a secret with? People that you love and trust the most in this world. Jesus says, man, when you lay down your entire life, the secret things of God start to become clear to you. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The mind of God is inside of us. I love what Peter writes in, first, or in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, he's talking to a group of Christians and he says, I think it's right to keep teaching you as long as I live in the tent of this body. Because I know that I will soon put it aside as the Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me. Do you know what Peter's saying there? That the Holy Spirit's revealed to him that he's about to die. Or Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 22, he says, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem and I have no idea what's going to happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. And I have no idea the secrets that God is going to reveal to you about who he is and about your life and about the future, but you can bank your life on it that if Jesus Christ said it, it will come true. There's intimacy. There's joy. You know, one of the saddest things that we get caught up in believing sometimes as Christians is that our, our best days are behind us. My wife, Court, was at the nine o'clock service, and one of the greatest things about being married to her is that the best is still to come. 
that we haven't had all of our greatest moments and, and greatest blessings and greatest joys in the past. And so the book that I gave her, we don't just pull that out and go, man, remember when, remember when that was so great. And we don't live miserable lives now. We go, man, we're living the, the best lives that we've ever lived. And we have all these incredible memories and things that we've been through. And Jesus is wanting us to understand that, that the moments that he's forgiven us and given us a heart for more and the moments that he's answered prayers and showed up and, and, and drawn near to us, when he's appeared to us in dreams, when he's given us visions, when he has made his presence known in our lives. He doesn't want us to be people that, that pull out the book and, and live off of memories. But to walk and step with him. And so I want to ask us as we wrap up today, are we actually following Jesus? Like, do you testify to your coworkers and your families that Jesus is alive? Do your kids know the, the stories in your life of how you've come to know Jesus? Are you sharing the, the goodness of God with those around you? And if you're not, do you want this? Do you want to just come to church and and play this game and, and be overwhelmed with anger and frustration and fear? Or do you want to live a life that bears witness to the world around you that God is alive and that he's alive in you? Kayla and Warren are going to come back up and lead us in some worship. And we're going to take communion. We do this every week. And I know that we're all over the board. I encourage you to, to get a piece of bread and to get a cup and to come back to your seat and you can take this with poopy you came with, you can take it by yourself, but I want you just to do something for me. If you're sitting there and you realize that you are faithless, I encourage you to close your eyes and to bow your head and just to pray, God, if you are real, reveal yourself. If he is not real, you have nothing to lose. You don't even have to pray out loud. Just pray like the, the whisper inside your spirit. Pray, God, if you, are re, if you are real, will you reveal yourself to me? And Jesus Christ is real. And if you are hungry, you will find him. If you seek him, you will find. If you ask, you'll receive. And it might not happen like in this moment in prayer, but, but you'll be driving to work, you'll be in class, that God of the universe, if you want him, he wants you. For some of you, as you're taking communion, you're going to realize that, that you have faith, that, that you are a Christian, but man, you're so fearful. That you're fearful to, to talk about Jesus and you're fearful about getting your company together and praying before work. You're fearful about what your coworkers are going to think. You're fearful about what your friends and your family and your spouses and your kids are going to think. And I want to encourage you as you're taking the bread and the cup to ask Jesus to trump your fear with greater faith. And some of you, man, you're fruitful. You're going to take the bread, you're going to think about the broken body of Jesus, and you're going to realize that he's not some historical figure, but that he is real, and you've been following him and bearing fruit for centuries, or not centuries, I don't think you've been bearing fruit for centuries. If you do, I want to meet you. That'd be awesome. For decades. Ask God, God, keep taking me deeper. 
And I have this picture of us as a church that, that we're all at the beach, we're all at the ocean. And some of you, you've been following Jesus for a long time and you're just like way out in the deeps of the ocean and you're just swimming and you're swimming. And some of us are, are standing in our, and we're ankle deep in the water and some of us are standing on the shoreline and we're just excited. Like we, we want nothing more than to get in the water, but we're scared. And the thing that Jesus is inviting us to do as a church, no matter where we are, is to take a step farther, to go a little bit deeper, let God a little bit more in. And may you and I not look back on our lives and be confused and being tricked into thinking that our best days are behind us. When the Holy Spirit's alive in us, our lives will testify day in and day out to the realness of Jesus. And we will live like Jesus. Let's pray.